Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we continue our study this morning in Romans 16, I just pray that you would continue to sanctify us by your indwelling spirit, that we might take the word and that we might embrace it and apply it in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Romans chapter 16 as we wind down our study of the book. And where we're at is this beautiful benediction that Paul writes at the end of his letter to the Romans. And it's in Romans 25 through 27. And one of the pet peeves of mine is, is that the church is losing their definitions. And I was at a service within the last month, and they were singing a song that, just an old hymn. And I was standing by a young person, and they said, I don't know that one. And I I wanted to go, are you kidding me? And we're losing the definitions. And so your version, depending upon what version you're using, it may say is the title that they inserted above our focal passage this morning. It may say benediction. Some versions say doxology. And you think, well, what's, what's a benediction? And the Lexham Bible Dictionary says a benediction is a ceremonial blessing administered during a worship gathering. And then they give the spiritual history of that. The descendants of Aaron offered such blessings over the Israelites in the name of God. And of course, in the New Testament has a number of benedictions or doxologies, whatever you want to put in there above the verse. But let's read Romans 6.25. Romans 16, verse 25, it says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ... According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now, when you look at that and we've got that, that's just packed, packed full of good stuff. And we're going to look at 25 this morning. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ. And of course, I pose the question, who's him? Of course, naturally, it's God, right? Now to God who is able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ. So what does God do for us in this benediction? What is Paul claiming? The New King James Version says that he establishes us. The Christian Standard Bible says that he strengthens us. So does the English Standard. And God does strengthen us. And I think that's, I think that's an extremely important point. As I've mentioned before, and I kind of got on this analogy as we were going through Romans. Unfortunately, some people look at their salvation is two bookends, when they accept Jesus Christ and then their ticket into heaven, and there's this void in between. 
And that's what you get through a cheap grace preaching, is that salvation isn't looked at as the working of God throughout one's life in a cheap grace environment. He's just your enabler to heaven. But the purpose of God is that he sanctifies us until he glorifies us. If you look at Ephesians 5 verse 25, Paul mentions this as he compares Christ and the church to husbands and wives. And in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That, now that's a really important that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ gave us life so that we are cleansed from our sins and that having the indwelling of the Spirit, we have power over sin and that we can desire and achieve a life that stresses holiness. The pursuit of God and His ways and His teachings and His truth. And so that's what Paul is saying, that he strengthens us. And how does he strengthen us? According to Paul's preaching. According to the preaching. And this is our topic today, is preaching. And it's so important that you and I have a biblical view of preaching. And what preaching does. And unfortunately, the modern era has seen the role of preaching diminish. In most churches, the amount of time allotted to preaching has diminished. The song service has become greater. The preaching aspect of the service has become shorter. I'll never forget, and I've shared this story before, but I was going to be out of the pulpit one Sunday, and I was having a guest pastor fill in, and he was kind of asking me, you know, what was I preaching on, and what to expect of the service, and he said, well, how long do I have, 15 minutes? I said, 15 minutes? No. I said, you need to fill 40 minutes. That used to be common, and unfortunately, The preaching aspect of the service has shrunk. In addition, the quality of preaching isn't what it used to be. Unfortunately, pastors think that their other duties that they feel in their pastoral role takes precedence over the time spent in sermon prep. And I would argue that it is just the opposite. That there needs to be time spent to present the word of God. I think that unfortunately what's happened is, is the preaching part of the service has become diminished. There is a lack of majesty in the presentation of God's word. 
The pastor has a very important role, and that is to present the Word of God. I'll never forget when Kathy and I were young married, we were sitting in the church and our pastor stood up and he went through this really long, detailed story about starting his car in the local mall parking lot. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. And it really took up most of the service. So the quality of preaching has diminished. Unfortunately, congregations don't look at preaching like they used to. The congregation needs to come with the expectation that the pastor isn't going to present a story. He's going to present the Word of God. Now, I'll use a story, but I only have so much time. And I'm not going to waste my time telling a story. One of the things that I always appreciated about Martin Lloyd-Jones when you hear his messages is that he tells very few personal stories. The vast majority of his sermons are the presentation of the Word of God. The pastor needs to present. The congregation needs to expect that God is at work with the presentation of the Word of God. And this is what you get in our focal passage. And I think it's important for us to have that biblical view of preaching, so I'm going to make several important points that I think that we need to keep in mind. And first of all is preaching isn't a modern invention. In fact, it's old as the Bible itself. Ecclesiastes 1.1, Solomon described himself in this way. He says, the words of the preacher, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Now, if you look at that word preacher in the original language, it means to gather an assembly. In other words, a group of people are going to come and they're going to hear the word of God. And while I'm fixing to give you a New Testament reference, it's referring to an Old Testament person. In 2 Peter 2.4, it says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. If you look at preacher in that particular verse, it means a person who heralds, a person who proclaims. So those are two Old Testament examples. When you look at the New Testament, let me point out that preaching is the method that God used for the Spirit to be delivered at Pentecost. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what is spoken by the prophet of Joel. And we know what happens, don't we? We know what happens. If you look at verse 40, it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. 
And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. God used preaching during Pentecost. If you think about Acts as a chronology of the early church, if you keep on going and you go all the way to the end of Acts and you look at Acts 28, we go from Peter to Paul and what Paul is doing in chapter 28, he's saying in verse 30, then Paul dwelt two whole years, talking about his stay in Rome, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. Acts begins in preaching, it ends in preaching. And if we look at a chronological timeline of the New Testament, if we look at the New Testament books in order, yes, Revelation is the last, naturally, but the one before that, John's third letter, as he writes Gaius, if you look at verse 5, John's telling Gaius, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. In other words, John is telling Gaius, be kind, be hospitable to the itinerant pastors, the itinerant missionaries that are passing through your midst. And he says that you'll become fellow workers that you are partnering with them in the truth. My point here is, is that preaching is not a modern invention. It's not an American invention. It's not a European invention. Preaching is the method that God used, and you see it from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, that God uses preaching. Preaching is the method of delivery. In fact, if you look at Romans 10 verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. God uses preaching as a method to present his word to mankind. Also, preaching is a spiritual gift. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith 
and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, God gives people gifts to equip his church. That's in the design. That's in the plan. Verse 13 says it. Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now the key word there in verse 11 is it says he gave. God gives us all spiritual gifts. He gave. There's nothing about preaching that should contain pride. Just as we all fulfill our gifts. You may have the gift of music. You may have the gift of teaching. We're not to be proud. One gift isn't more important than another. You may serve in your gift in obscurity. You may preach in obscurity. There were times where I felt like I preached in obscurity. I always used to say... Anytime I used to have a pity party that the crowd wasn't as big as it should be. I always used to just remind myself, well, Ezekiel preached in his house by himself. And it never got that bad. <laughs> but, but it is something that God chose to give people to use to edify and build up the congregation. And it has to be done in Christ. Because after all, Christ said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. I remember when I was at Baylor and I'd surrendered to preach and was friends with other guys that were going through Baylor. And Every young preacher boy has the idea that they're going to preach to really large groups of people. May not be the, the plan that God has. I remember when we were in Israel this summer, one of our teachers was Joe Stoll, past president of Moody. We were talking with him one day and... I mentioned that I was a pastor and I said, I'm the pastor of a small church. And he said, there's no such thing as small churches. And I thought, how lovely was that? God uses big churches. He uses small churches to accomplish his will. The most important thing is, is that the word is presented. The word's presented. He's responsible for the growth. The preacher is responsible for presenting the word. And there's varying degrees of success. You know, as Paul was giving Timothy advice, he mentioned that there are seasons. That there are seasons. In 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 1, Paul tells Timothy, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, 
exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside into fables. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Isn't it interesting as Paul is giving Timothy that charge starting in verse 4, that he mentions that God will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And then he says, preach the word. As we live in our church life with our church congregation, the one thing that we need to always stand upon is the presentation of the word, regardless of whether it's fashionable or not. I remember listening to a Martin Lloyd-Jones sermon in someone had posed to him this question. They said, oh, don't you wish that you were a pastor during the Victorian era? Because if you think about that at that point, you could say that Britain was at the peak of Christianity. And he said, no, not really. And he said, and my reason is, is that during that time, it was fashionable to be in church. It was fashionable. And he said, you had people in church that cared nothing about Christ. That's my paraphrase of what he said. And I think that if you're looking at the world today in in a world that has ceased in a lot of ways to make sense, we have to realize that we are in a season that people have itching ears. But the true judge, the true judge is God. And the true judge, you want to be able to stand and say, I was true to your word. That's the standard. That's the yardstick. Also, let me say this, that preaching should be consumed with the presentation of Christ. Preaching should be consumed with the presentation of Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. This is what Paul told the church at Corinth. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ in him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's what you get when you present the Word of God. You can present human wisdom all day long. That's not going to last. It's the presentation of the Word of God in Jesus Christ in Him 
crucified. I have a, a dear friend who was raised Baptist, and he told me, he said, oh, you Baptists, he said, all you do is preach the cross. And I thought to myself, well, what else is there? It's the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross gives us life. The preaching of the cross sustains us. The preaching of the cross brings other people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Stories don't. I can use stories to highlight something. But my friends, it's more important that we present the word. And when the word is presented, what happens? Paul tells us in the benediction, we are established according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's what we're after. We're after the church to be equipped. And you can't be equipped unless you stand on the word of God. I think it's a tragedy when we look at the doctrinal ignorance of the majority of believers. And I could point you to the Barna polls. When you look at Barna, or I could also point you to Ligonier that does a poll every year. And as you go through and you look at their state of the church polls, and you look at questions that the pollster asks believers about basic Christian doctrine, and you go, how in the world do you not believe that? Or why do you believe something that contradicts the word of God? I'll tell you how they sat in a church with a weak pulpit. And because they sat in a church with a weak pulpit, they were not delivered the teachings and truths of God. And so, yes, you look at somebody and you go, how can you believe that? Well, in some ways, when you look at it, you feel sorry for them because they've spent years wasting their time sitting in a church where their ears were scratched. We need to promote biblical teaching and preaching. I'll never forget the first time I found out that Vernon McGee was dead about 15 years before I started listening to him. I was like, he's dead? He died when I was in grade school? Why can you still listen to Vernon McGee on the radio? And why can you still listen to Adrian Rogers? And why can you still listen to all of these great preachers that have gone on to their reward? Because preaching is timeless. And when you listen to these people and as they present the word, it's still valid, isn't it? It's still truthful. It's not in the skill of the preacher. It's in the eternalness of the Word of God. And if preaching is presented in that way, it's still applicable, no matter how old the sermon is. That's important. Preaching's the tool. Preaching's the tool. And our salvation isn't just a light switch. How boring to have that idea. How boring. I was saved in 1976. That sounds like a long time ago, doesn't it? And God's been working on me ever since. And I'm a lot of work. 
If I just looked at 1976 at that particular moment and said that my salvation stopped right there until I got to heaven, the Christian life would be boring. But it's not, is it? It's alive. And the more you read the Word of God and the more you hear preachers preaching the Word of God and you rest in that, You are established in the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we just pray, Lord, that in our nation, you would raise up godly men to fill your pulpit and present your word without apology. It's not about preaching. It's not about... The preacher, it's not about vanity. It's about your word. And we just pray, Lord, that we'd rest in that and that you'd use people to present your word to a lost society. I pray, Lord, that we may always stand here in our church on your truth, that we may be bold in the proclamation of your word, regardless of the cost that we might ultimately face. I pray if there's someone listening this morning, that they might accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior if they don't know Christ. Lord, we give you the praise and the glory for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.